Hello and welcome to the Wisconsin Drunken History Podcast. We are your hosts, Eric Sturgeon. And I'm Russell Sorry. This podcast is about all things Wisconsin, history, music, and culture. While drinking a few brews. Though we don't often use strong language, the jokes and the content is not intended for young audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Before we begin the episode, we have to give a huge shout out to the Dangits from Madison, Wisconsin for providing us with great bluegrass intro you hear at the beginning of every episode. The song Razzle was written by Jamie Lampkins, but is performed by on behalf of Tom Wasselchuk and the Dangits. If you have a chance, check these guys out at dang-its.com for upcoming shows, music, or on how to book them for weddings, parties, and etc. Thank you for listening. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 24 of Wisconsin Drunken History Podcast. I am Eric, and that is Russ. He's sipping a beer. We really hope you enjoyed the Halloween series, which just concluded, and we look forward to continuing that tradition for years to come. Uh, Let us know what you thought, and send us some suggestions you love to hear and uh, uh, for next year's Halloween series. Also, remember to like, subscribe, rate, and review where that is necessary, YouTube and Spotify and Apple. Uh, We appreciate any feedback, positive or negative. We've got to learn and grow, and we'd love to hear anything you have to say. Uh, Today, we have another great episode lined up for you. Our main story is about the father of the automobile. That's Dr. J.W. Carhart of Racine, Wisconsin. We have music from Exposed Foreheads. A little throwback to uh, the Halloween series, if you will. A Wisconsin beer review, again. Another edition of How Many Loco You At? And another great interview with Brewfinity. Without further ado, here is our story on Dr. J.W. Carhartt. So one great thing uh, about our state is all of the technology that originated here in Wisconsin. And uh, this particular debate, this could be this this topic could be debated, but in our opinion, there is no debate. We are talking about Dr. J. W. Carhart, the father of the automobile. We use some truly great references for today's story. I have to cite the Wisconsin Historical Society and two highly recommended books: John Wesley Carhart, preacher, author, inventor, physician, and father of the automobile. What a title! I mean, geez. And Yarns of Wisconsin. Um, and the latter book is a collection of stories throughout the state of Wisconsin. Um, basically a lot of older stories um, w- about logging, iron mines. Um, just a whole bunch of people like randomly came together and put all these stories together in a book. And it's really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I did enjoy it myself. Um, the specific um, portions of the book that we used were uh, How We Loved Cars, written by Harold McClelland and Father of the Automobile by Frank Seton. Um, we are going to focus specifically on Dr. Carhart's work with inventing the automobile, as there are many other interesting things about his life that we could talk about. But if you wish to learn more, pick up one of these books and read it yourself. He was a pretty eccentric person and, like myself, curious and explorative. Yeah, definitely. He was born on December 23rd of 1914 in Coeman, New York. John Wesley Carhart, or more commonly known as J.W. Carhart, and that's funny, the 1800s naming conventions. Like, you would be E.P. Sturgeon, and I'd be R.L. Sorry. Right. It's, You'd it's be R.L. Stein. R.L. Stein, yeah. <laughs> Write some Goosebumps books. Write some spooky books. Before moving to Racine, Wisconsin, he was living in New York where he became a Methodist preacher and was a scholar earning a doctorate of divinity. He also wrote stories, with many of them being published around the United States at the time. In 1871, the family made a trip westward towards the Wisconsin conference where he actually preached in Racine's Methodist church. 
J.W. Carhart would meet a man named George W. Slauson, a wealthy lumber dealer and gentleman who was well known in the community. They met at a church service and began to talk about an idea. Slauson would be the money man and would assist by providing the capital to take on a project. And that's pretty awesome. I mean, I have invention ideas and there's just no way I can afford it. Yeah, I mean, every every project uh, in history needed the brains of the operation, but also required the money of the operation. You got to have the money man. That's the, the capital's the thing that kills pretty much 90% of inventions out right. there. And, and, and honestly... You end up getting, you know, screwed if you're the brain guy, and if you if you end up selling that idea to anybody, you're losing out on what you really could be making. So it's best if you can find somebody who's able to financially back the project, and then you maintain that uh, that integrity uh, of the engineered part. Exactly. And so John's uncle, another doctor, H.S. Carhart, was a professor at Michigan State and assisted John in making the first conceptual drawings on the horseless carriage that was in John's head dubbed Spark, is what he named the vehicle. Development soon began in an old brick barn. The horseless steam carriage would soon be a reality. The boiler for Spark came from the Button Steam Fire Engine Company in Waterford, New York, created with engineered drawings for the castings made by his uncle, who was again a professor at Michigan State. Like a carriage, it had a fifth wheel for steering. The vehicle was fitted with link motion that would allow it to roll backwards, would not allow it to roll backwards, and bolted to the sides of the boiler were two small side valve steam engines that were driven with the gears down to the wheels below. All of these components were fitted onto existing carriages during the time nothing was known about pneumatic tires, ball bearings, or refined liquid fuels. So, I mean, steam engines and steam were kind of the go-to for the late 1800s. I mean, that was kind of the technology out yeah. there. Yeah, and, and when we say that, uh, that he's the, the inventor, the father of the automobile, you got to remember that, you know, those other, you know, the, the uh, internal combustion engine, liquid fuels... Uh, all those refined things, uh, spark plugs, uh, you know, all these uh, more modern things didn't exist. So remember, this is the idea of, you know, this mobilized transportation that is without horse. Exactly. When the, barns cl- when the barn doors opened and Carhart and his son went for the first ride, people shuddered, horses screamed, and children cried. In his own words, the noise of the exhaust which escaped through the stack and which shot smoke and cylinders 15 feet into the air was terrific and startling at the same time, which is pretty, pretty <laughs> awesome. I mean, he scared like Racine residents. It, it was exotic, terrifying, and it really it turned me on. He told an interviewer 41 years just before his death, of course the steam whistle with which it was equipped did nothing to make matters any better. In fact, (laughs) it was not long before we had all the streets in the town ourselves. For when they had seen the machine, all of the citizens were unanimous in predicting that their thing would blow up. (laughs) (laughs) I've had a few neighbors with cars and trucks that kind of sounded that way too. (laughs) (laughs) I've definitely had a Volvo or two that were uh, the oh, muffler yeah. the, fell off, or D, a Jeep. You one had the D two forty. Oh yeah, and then the, the I had a Jeep. It was a Jeep Cherokee nineties, and uh, the muffler fell off in it. I got pulled over pretty much like every hour on the hour with cops hitting me up. Was that the black one? The black one yeah. when the muffler came yeah. off. That was the loudest thing. That was disgusting. It was bad. I mean, like you talk about Harley's being loud. This thing would blow your windows out. It yeah. was real loud. It was sweet. 
The people were so angry with the sound that the citizens of Racine were going to run him out of town. The car had a max speed of only 5 miles per hour. He faced some hot water when one of the horses became so scared that it had fallen and broken a leg. The person was a rich and wealthy person by the name of J.I. Case, whose name you probably recognize in the I, state of Wisconsin. You definitely should. Case. Case International. Yeah who produced farm equipment back then, just not the tractors we all know today. And at some point, we will do an episode regarding him. Obviously, he's a big influence on tractors and agriculture in general. Right, right. Look at all that agriculture. The next day, the town council banned the machine from the town streets, and it was branded a menace to society. He was able to get out of the suit, but was a huge blow to him. But the state of Wisconsin did not find much of a nuisance, though in 1875, the Wisconsin State Legislature legislature put up a prize of ten thousand dollars to anyone who could come up with a self-propelled vehicle the law stated that to any wisconsin resident who could invent after a five-year continued trial and use or produce a machine to propel by steam or any motive agent which shall be a cheap practical substitute for the use of horses and other animals on the highway or farm would receive the rewards his initial idea would be passed on to the oshkosh which was another vehicle name, who took the name, who took the original design and built upon it and made many improvements. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely, uh, pretty much the exact same components and uh, an idea. It's just uh, a little bit more modernized, I suppose. I mean, what an exciting time, though! Could you imagine seeing that in the paper? Like ten thousand dollars, anyone that can invent this. This is what we need. Like, I mean, especially that amount of money, ten thousand uh, dollars. Then, Back then, holy moly. In 1878, where there was the first auto race would be held, and any car that could survive the 200-mile journey from Green Bay to Madison would receive the prize. Only two cars were entered, and the one was called the Green Bay, and the other based in Carhartt's design, the Oshkosh. And, you know, those were the only two machines that were actually in this race. And uh, the Green Bay was a faster machine, but it actually broke down 20 miles from Madison. But the Oshkosh had done it, arriving in Madison after its 33-hour and 27-minute trip with an average speed of 6 miles per hour, which, <laughs> that's I mean, a long travel, but it'd be kind of cool. I mean, it'd be... Exp- it is. It's crazy to think that uh, such a small uh, a small vehicle could uh, house and, 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 you know, incorporate all of those needed components uh, and, and then go that distance at that rate of speed... Uh, it just, it, it kind of blows my mind that somebody was smart enough and, uh, you know, had the ingenuity to, to put together this item, uh, back in the 1800s. Right. Just coming up with some concept sketches. We take just... so, all of this for granted now when we all hop in our, our, uh, normal vehicles every single day, we just power them on and we drive great distances. And this is what they struggled through back in the 1800s. It was difficult and almost impossible for you to take a vehicle from Green Bay to Madison. Right. Imagine how many people do that now, whether they're going from Green Bay to a Badger game or from Madison to a Packer game. Exactly. That trip is made many, uh, times. many times, thousands of times per year here in this state. And, you know, th- this made Carhartt kind of a legend in the automotive. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's sad that he wasn't as well known. But though he did not receive the award as it was given to the inventors of the Oshkosh, Alexander Gallagher, Frank Schomer, A.W. Farrand, and, of course, J.F. Morse of Morse Morse, Fairbanks, Carhartt would go down in history in the books as the father of the automobile. After all this, he continued to preach and ended up in Oshkosh as well as Appleton. He would continue to develop pieces of the automobile and has patents on um, many 
different things like the laminated tire in 1907 as well as an additional vehicle tire design in 1910, thus kind of helping develop the uh, pneumatic and new tire designs that are actually on cars today. Yeah. The man who started it all would fade into obscurity until 1908. He was invited to the International Automobile Exposition in Paris, France, as a guest of the French government, where he was officially dubbed the title of the father of the automobile and presented a cash prize for his contribution to the development of the automobile. For a short time living his life as a celebrity, but again would return to obscurity and only known for car aficionados of the deepest kind, such as my dad. And I think my brother knows about him, too. Yeah, I think anybody who uh, who appreciates um, just the, the whole mechanics and the uh, engineering and, and thought behind uh, the, the whole object of, of driving a vehicle, a horseless carriage, if you will, Definitely would would recognize this name and would appreciate the you know the things that uh, that he did and then and honestly he sacrificed a ton because the the names aren't uh, you know his name isn't on a lot of the things that get all the publicity he's just got these things that are patented right and nobody knows the patent person I know exactly that's usually it I mean. For example, like I've done a lot of things for Genetic. You have patents. Yeah, and nobody even knows. Nobody knows nobody, you. They just see the thing in the store. That's all they know. You're a, you know? You're a great name in the generator world. Right. <laughs> a legend of a generation. No, <laughs> a power generation. And nobody knows who you are. Exactly. But he later moved to San Antonio, Texas, where on December 21st of 1914, his life would come to an end. But this is the main reason um, I wanted to bring him to everyone's attention. We owe a ton to this man, and uh, we hope to shed some light on the interesting person he was. Um, and yeah, I, I just think he's just a really good, another p- piece of Wisconsin history that isn't well known that needs to be out there. Yeah. I think a lot of other, uh, states and cities and communities have, have their own legend and, and folklore and, um, and names that, you know, are associated with them. And Wisconsin just, I mean, we have a ton outside of the, the beer, you know, history and, 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 uh, it's just we have so many different uh, areas of of work and um, m- mechanics that have come from this state. I mean, the entire crane industry wouldn't be anything if it weren't for Milwaukee with Pauling and Harnish figure. Oh yeah, you mentioned Morse Fairbanks. Yeah. I mean, Carl Sainer, the yes, snowmobile. I mean, exactly, just unbelievable. There's just so many different industries that wouldn't even be probably nearly. Uh, as as refined and and uh, engineered as they are, without some of the people from our own state, right? McCormick International Case. I mean, all the agricultural stuff. Origin. A lot of it originated here. And I and I honestly, I've said this probably a few different times. I don't know if it's been on this podcast or not, but um, the uh, oh damn the the dam Hoover Dam. I mean, almost everything that operates and runs in the Hoover Dam was made in Wisconsin. You've got uh, the um, Alice Chalmers uh, generators and and uh, you know engines turbines. that are out there turbines. That's what it is. Turbines. Uh, the the P and H uh, Pauling and Harnish figure uh, cranes that are running throughout that building to keep things operating. It's just insane that no that far far less people I think know about uh, you know Wisconsin's hand in so many different things. So that's uh, that's the aim of most of this. I mean yes. we we like to have fun and we like to. Uh, you know, mention and highlight different figures that maybe aren't as, uh, you know, um, 
me- mechanical and uh, right. you know whatever. We, but we have some doozies coming up. I'm, yeah. I'm gonna throw it out there. But you know, with the uh, with some of this, we want you to also gain some uh, some some really cool knowledge. Exactly, and that's gonna conclude the main segment for today. But stay tuned. All right. So today's music segment is almost a carryover from the uh, Halloween series. We had one additional submission of spooky-themed music that we just couldn't pass up. Uh, And this band is pretty damn incredible. They remind me and Russ both of bands like Devo, the B-52s, and uh, the Talking Heads. Uh, These guys are absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I just can't say enough about how awesome their music are, uh, is rather, and, and you can find them on Spotify, uh, it, everything is just absolutely phenomenal and, and so, um, just, just so different. I love it. Uh, so w- without any uh, further ado, this is the, uh, the exposed foreheads and the song is save all monsters. Man is out of sight. Go. 
hey, that again was Exposed Foreheads, and that was Save All Monsters. I absolutely love that stuff. Cool music. Check them out, please. We now have another beverage review. This one is Brewfinity, and this is called Day Drinker. Yeah, so Day Drinker is an American premium lager coming at the ABV at 4.7%. As the name implies, it is a day drinker, 4.7%. I'm kind of just tasting it right now, and uh, I'm getting a really earthy taste to it, like a really earthy... Earthworm gym. Earthworm. Yeah, earthworm gym. No, it has an earthy taste to it. You're definitely getting that lager yeast flavor. It's a little bit danker, I would say, than your yeah, standard American lager. Yeah, and, and honestly, you know what I'm getting? Uh, so this is the second one I've drank, not today, uh, but it, I'm getting like, if you were to put like only six scoops of, of fresh ground coffee into a pot that's meant for 12, I'm getting that really like background hint of almost like a coffee ground. But yeah. like it's really, really... Uh, not pungent. It's not. It's not full. You know. Yeah, it has a little hint of sweetness. Um, you know, I'm getting. I don't know if there's actually it's in there, but I'm getting hints of coriander. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Little little hints of coriander. Um, yeah, it's pretty good. It's it's like I said, it's not like it says American Premium Lager, but it's definitely not like your cheap beer. It's more of a danker lager flavor. Um, it's it's a little bit heavier on the heavier side. Unlike your lagers where you can drink those all day, you know. Yeah, it's like crazy. This is a um a four point seven, but it drinks a little heavier than that, it seems. And um, it would definitely fill you up. If you were to have, you know, a few of these, this well, is a, and mention too, that's a that's a pint can. It is a pint can, so this one can is definitely gonna fill my stomach. All, all of their beers, I believe, come in the pint. Uh not I don't believe they sell in like a twelve ounce uh can. So uh Really, here, this is the the long and the short of it. These are independent craft brews, uh, really using top-notch, top-quality, you know, individual product uh, inside of the beer. And they are uh, brewed with much more uh, cautious caution, caution and care than some of these other larger lagers that you would drink, uh, mass-produced, um, so these these are definitely a it's an amazing beer uh and and like i said it just you know has really good quality in it and for those that don't know they're they're from Oconomowoc and uh hopefully we'll have them on the show later today um we have an interview schedule with them so hopefully you get to hear a little bit more about their brewery it's a a newer beer that came out that i've seen the can designs are really neat it kind of has like that 70s vibe to it yeah um, and uh and it's it's a wrapped can uh, instead of just like printed can, like some of your more, uh, I guess, just your more mass-produced beers, it's really nice. I think it's a really good quality product uh, from a uh, an established uh, craft independent brewery. I love it. But yeah, definitely go and grab these from your liquor store and try them out and uh, let us know what you think. All right, so we have another edition of How Many Locos You At. Today's uh, story... Uh, article is about a man who may have purchased a motorcycle to avoid an ignition interlock device and he now faces his 10th drunk driving charge <laughs> uh, and this is after a crash not fatal so this man is still alive and he's facing these charges 
So uh, the gentleman is 52 years old. He made his initial appearance in Winnebago County, uh, the courthouse, on Wednesday afternoon, uh, where a $25,000 cash bond was set. He returns to court September 3rd for a preliminary hearing. According to the criminal complaint, a Fox Crossing police uh, discovered a motorcycle on the side of the road shortly before 3 a.m. on August 20th. The officer noticed the rear tire was dug in and a pile of dirt was behind it. As if the motorcycle got stuck trying to go over the curb and the driver attempted a hard acceleration over the curb. Now, I've got a different opinion. I've seen this maneuver done hundreds of times. They lock their front tire up on a, on a curb or on a rock or something. They lean forward on the front suspension in order to remove weight from the rear tire, which is where all the power goes, and they are just trying to burn the hell out of the back tire. They're just trying to smoke <laughs> yeah, out the neighborhood. Yeah. You've seen yep. it. Yeah, I've seen it. Your dad's probably done it right yeah, in the driveway. Yeah. Yep. So the man was found in a ditch nearby, <laughs> which is never good. No. If you're no. found in a ditch, that's crazy. Um, he claimed someone else was driving the motorcycle. <laughs> yeah, highly doubtful. <laughs> yeah. Highly doubtful. Uh, yeah. After police got a warrant, a blood sample was taken. A preliminary breath test had a result of .135, which is plenty over the legal oh, limit. Yeah. Not quite oh, double, yeah. but there. Um, the individual had an absolute sobriety order, obviously due to his many convictions of drunk driving. Um, if, for those of you uh, listening, a, an absolute sobriety order means he does not drink beer. He cannot drink beer and have any sort of keys, any sort of driver's license, anything like that. So he's uh, in, in clear violation of this. Um he did have an occupational driver's license, which means he can go to work. There's really particular hours that you can drive. Um, but this obviously was outside of those event or the, the hours. So um, the, the, this, this adds more to the criminal complaint here. If convicted, he faces at least four and up to 15 years in prison, not jail, prison for a 10th OWI with all of those additional right. things. Um, according to the criminal complaint, this individual uh, was convicted, um, or, yeah, he was convicted after drunk driving uh, incidents on, wow, these are some really hefty dates here. He's uh, 2011, 2008, 2006, 2003, 2000, 1998, 95, 90, and 89. So he's like, he's like a candy man. He comes out and gets a DUI every two years. Just rocking it, man. Just... <laughs> Whenever he's got the opportunity to get convicted, he does it. Um, in the most recent case, uh, he was uh, sentenced for five years in prison, which was 2013. He was also placed on extended supervision for five years. Uh, so uh, basically just reporting to some sort of a parole officer. Um, he's required to have the ignition interlock, which is you got to blow to go. Uh, and he's supposed to have that for three years, which is why he apparently was getting this motorcycle so so he a blow to go so he bought a harley to drink barley is yeah exactly that, okay you got it you got right. it you know so, the game so let's this let's wisco let's let's put some of this evidence together so we got 0. 0.135 0. 0.135 harley he is ditch in, chaps ripped 
chaps ripped. <laughs> I, you can argue if he ever even had a pair of Levi's under those Harley chaps. No, he was he was just rocking a dingy. He was just rocking chaps with a dingus a hanging down and his hole open. So what is Cheerio? <laughs> so with all this evidence put together, wh- what is your take? I mean, it sounds like this guy is a, a, a veteran of drinking. Um, he hit a, a point one five. You want to say one three five? One three five, and um, he ended up in a ditch. Um, clearly so, doing like a burnout is my opinion. So I don't guy, think you get that much dust just from smacking a curb. So, so the hint of extreme is talking. This guy might be a four loco drinker. Is I think he's a straight up Kyle. He's oh, he's a Kyle. I think okay. he's a Kyle. He punches drywall. He's sips, old. Like, he's EDs. older than most of the Kyles that any of us know. But uh, he's a monster energy drinking. Harley riding, idiot, just straight up dumb. And so I'm thinking uh, he's got to be into his third can of Loco. Yeah, I was thinking four cans. Uh, do you think he has, like, sick monster tattoos and stuff, though, too? Like, For sure. Even though he's older, 100%. like, he has some sick monster tattoos. Oh, and like... he's probably got a neck tattoo on his thick neck. What an idiot. <laughs> I hate this guy. <laughs> um, no, what, what like so? You're you're thinking uh, like four cans, three to four cans. You think? He's so, like he's into so a third a 12, can for sure. 12, three and a half. Okay, so you think a twelve loco, twelve loco? I was thinking kind of in between. So maybe we'll go with the fourteen loco because we're in between a three and four can. Because I mean, I don't think he's extreme as the people going to the roof in Beloit, but he also did like a curb, <laughs> a curb the check. Dodge Ram through the uh, old A frame. He did. Um, he did a curb check with a with a um, pants rip. So yeah. like that's still pretty decent. So yeah, I think. What do you think, 14 local? And he was found it? in a ditch. So I'm thinking three and a half, four cans. So you're you're right, 12 to 14. His chaps are scrapped. 12 I mean, to 14 <laughs> local. Okay. This guy is 12 to 14 fucked. local. All right, we'll go with it. Great. All right, so we're here today with Chad from Brewfinity in Oconomowoc. How are you doing, Chad? Good. How are you guys doing? Not too bad. Good, so we good. were just kind of wondering, uh, could we get a little uh, history about uh, Brewfinity, when you, how you guys got started? Sure. Um, basically... There was an existing brew pub here on site uh, that went up for sale in 2015. I moved forward to purchase it and took over uh, 2016, um, the facility, and bought the assets from the previous owners, and uh, basically have been doing this now coming up on five years. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, we actually were just sipping on the Brewfinity. Yeah. Awesome. Or, no, or, or the uh, we, day, the day, the drinker. day drinker. Sorry, the day drinker, which was the one we were drinking, which is like yeah. the American premium lager, I believe. Yep, that is correct. That's one of our flagships here. That's a good one. It's a uh, it's it's kind of cool. It has the the American take, um, a little bit you know a darker, danker flavor, which yeah. I like. It was really good. Yeah, that one actually started out um, as just a one off. Um, obviously, I was a home brewer before I bought the facility, and I wanted to test my hand at making a very light delicate beer because one of the things as a home brewer they always do is make a bold beer because it covers up any uh imperfections you might have in your brewing process so i thought well the american light lagers if you screw something up it'll show right away so uh i kind of did it just as a test and right as we were getting done with the batch i wasn't going to produce any more of it uh we had the beer garden from heartland they were just going to start up and they came in sampled a bunch of beers and uh pat over there really liked the the day drinker so basically we continued producing it and it's it's continued ever since awesome and yeah we were just wondering about the uh, the marketing and the the can designs it's kind of cool because it kind of gives me like a flashback feel to the 70s i i like i love the artwork 
Yeah. Um, so we work with a designer. His name is Joe Till. Uh, he went to WCTC and uh, he reached out to us when he uh, graduated and was curious if we were looking to do any can designs at that point. And that was right as we were starting to get into canning. So uh, we've worked with him exclusively since. Awesome. Yeah, that's a nice design. It's so. it's very cool. I, I don't know. I just I get like a really cool like 70s, like really cool, like a uh, hip vibe from the 70s. I don't know. I just lo- I loved it. Cool. And the, and then I was going to ask you what what are some upcoming beers you guys have that we have to try? Uh, we're actually in the process of introducing a bunch of new ones. Uh, we each year, or you know, when we get close to one of our beers being done, we kind of go back, look at the sales over the course of the beer, and decide if we're going to rebrew it or not. Um, and we had a couple that were you know pretty routinely being brewed for us that have dropped off. So we're kind of going through and coming up with some new ones here uh our snowflake joe is one that we did we just released that one recently it's a coffee infused white stout uh it's delicious um we're just getting that out into the market in cans uh it's been out for about three weeks now but we're making a heavier push for that one we also have a chocolate peanut butter porter that will be coming out in about three weeks also in cans uh that one's called chocolate nut house we also have a uh, new rye amber that we're going to be releasing here in the tap room, uh, hazy blackberry IPA, which we don't even have a name for. Uh, we're going to do a barley wine, which is we're going to name that knuckle dragger because we thought high ABV, you know, yeah. after a couple of them, your knuckles will probably be dragging <laughs> on the ground. Oh, yeah, so, for sure. <laughs> uh, that's just a handful of the ones we have coming out. Uh, and then we have our we have a pilot system here where we just do basically one barrel batches. So we've been using that to try some new stuff as well as, uh, you know, provide something interesting to the tap room that we probably wouldn't do in a larger, larger batch. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's kind of the thing. We, so me and Eric were like home brewers too, so we always tried experimentals, and yeah. that's kind of my favorite thing. You never know what it's going to turn out like. I love it. Yeah, you just wait a little while and see what see what you came up with, I guess. Yeah, and the cool thing with that is, you know, you don't really have to worry about any costs or anything. You just do whatever you want so yeah i know that's, we're, that's the cool thing with home brewing yeah we were experimenting kind of doing the single malt single hop to kind of get the flavors before we would start to make kind of a you know a mesh mix of different types of beers sure yep um so i was going to ask you i know covid's been very weird for this year um do, but do you guys have any like regular events that people can go to and check out uh we don't we do trivia on wednesday nights we just kind of start that one back up but with COVID, it's been, I mean, we've had decent crowds. We've had barely anybody in here. But, I mean, we just started that about four weeks ago. So we're kind of hoping that maybe we can get into a routine with that. Uh, we basically ruined a handful of our tables just to make sure it wasn't quite as tight in here as it was previous to COVID. So we do have things spaced out pretty good here. Um, other events that we have going uh we just well, we just finished up with our Brufinity Marathon, which we sponsored it with uh, Silver Circle Sporting Events. Um, but we don't really have much coming up right now. Just we have a Halloween party we'll probably do at the end of the month. But you know, we uh, we still gotta coordinate that. So keep an eye on our website or Facebook for details on that. Oh, we will awesome. for sure. Yeah. All right. So before we let you go, we ask all of our guests, "How Wisconsin are you?" Some just a few random questions to find out. Uh, how many of these weird Wisconsin things you've done? Yeah. Sure. So have you ever eaten have you ever eaten a squeaky cheese curd? 
Absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of a weekly thing for me, at least. Yeah, I mean, we used to, we actually used to get them in from Kramer's Cheese uh, in Watertown, and whenever they come in, we package them up in the tap room, and I'd have to eat a handful of them every time and <laughs> get the Just, squeaky cheese. And yeah. If Just, we have somebody that's from not Wisconsin come in, we'd always say, oh, you got to try cheese curds and let me know what you think of the squeak. So yeah. they're always... They're always taken back by that. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Unlike the ones that have been sitting on the shelf for a while where they lose that like little water and the squeak to uh, them. It's nice to have, uh, like a lot of people don't get the chance to ever, ever try one. Yeah. It's interesting that it just takes a little while for that squeak to go away too. Yeah. That's pretty much it. All right. So next question. Have you ever tailgated at a Brewers, Packers or Badgers game? All three. The trifecta. The tri- perfect score. Pe- people have been hitting this lately. Yeah, it's, the trifecta. <laughs> is that really? I mean, if you're from Wisconsin, that shouldn't even be a question. That's just assumed at this I point. I know. Right. Have you ever wore a cheese hat or any cheese paraphernalia? Uh, yes, I have. I've worn a cheese hat um, at a Packer game, I'm pretty sure. And uh, when they first came out, I think everybody was wearing them. So. It was definitely the, the fad, right? Everybody, everybody had to try their... Uh, Try their hand at some cheese paraphernalia. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it wasn't just the hat; it was uh, or the cheese wedges. You know, they got the hat and every other thing now. Yeah, too, so. cowboy hats, bras, hard hats, <laughs> everything. <laughs> Have you ever hit a deer? I've actually had a deer hit me. Wow! So I Whoa. was driving driving down the road and it ran into the side of my car, did a bunch of damage, and then ran away. So I don't know what I had done to the deer to take it off, but apparently uh, it didn't like my vehicle. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've all been there, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> all right. Have you ever had a true muddled old fashioned? Yes, I have. It's kind of um, you know that's that's one too. It's kind of a Wisconsin staple. If you haven't had one in Wisconsin, I don't know. I don't know what to say yeah, to you. But, but now the question is, what do you put in with it? I mean, there you if go. you're from Wisconsin, it better be brandy, right? Uh, yeah. I, brandy is the choice. Because I know originally the recipe called for whiskey, I believe, was the original recipe. But obviously brandy is the way to go. The Wisconsin, blackberry brandy yeah, is like Wisconsin the way to go. changed it up a bit. I think I just heard something that Wisconsin consumes about 50% of the brandy production or something like that in the world. You got that right. And if we have anything to say about it, we'll we'll consume more. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're, we're, uh, upset that's a failing grade for us. Yeah. Yeah, You know what? It's funny because I just saw, I think Corbell produced like uh, where where they sell their most sales. And I think, like you said, I think it's like 60% or more in Wisconsin alone, which is just, just insane. Yeah, and considering I, I believe they're worldwide, so. Yeah. yeah. All right, have you ever milked a cow? I have not milked a cow. That's okay. That's the one that we generally stump a few of the listeners and the guests. Yeah, I mean, you kind of have to be a true rural farm boy yeah. or somebody, you know, you don't always get the or chance. Yeah, have, have, have a friend that works on a farm and, yeah. and yeah. uh done it you know by hand or whatever i have seen it done i have been on a farm when they're they're milking the cows but uh they use the machinery for that they don't they don't let you uh actually get under there and and milk the cow so yeah definitely yeah one we kind of had to take off the list but i had to do it was uh inseminate a cow not a good not a good not (laughs) Not a a good thing not a fun sunday i have never done that either so (laughs) good (laughs) you don't want to (laughs) <laughs> it doesn't seem like a fun fun process. No. no, it's the one thing you kind of regret, you know, living on a farmer, helping farmers out. It's the one thing you feel a little uh, like you need to take a shower after yeah. it. So, 
Have you ever been to a supper club? And uh, do you have a favorite one? Uh, when I was growing up, my uh, my parents would go out every Friday and Saturday night to the supper clubs up where we grew up, and I would usually go along with them at least you know a couple times a month. So I've been to a ton of supper clubs. I don't think they exist anymore. Just you know, this was like thirty years ago. So you're talking like the true um, the true supper clubs, the old seventies, or just the ones that yep, you absolutely. the ones that you went to, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, the next one um, I have for you, is there a beer you recommend um, from Brewfinity to use in a beer brats? Uh, well, we do have a jalapeno lager called Jorge, which goes great with, uh, with the bratwurst. So you, you know, when you're boiling it in, you're getting the jalapeno flavor into them. So oh, that's, that that's a very delicious. unique one. Otherwise, obviously, Day Drinker would be a good choice. Um well, those two would definitely work well for it. Awesome. awesome. Definitely trying it. You yeah. know, I, I always we always say that, you know, you hate wasting a craft beer, but it, at the same time, it's like you kind of want to get that different flavor in the, your... Yeah, the really good pronounced flavor of a craft beer. Yeah, and I mean, like, if you're making chili, you always pour a porter or a stout into it to give it yeah. that level of depth, so... All right, next question. Have you... Uh, Bloody Marys, um, do you, have you ever had one in the morning, and uh, what do you use in yours? Um, I have had them in the morning. I'm not a big fan of tomato juice, so a friend of ours uh, goes heavy on Worcestershire and spices it up, and I, I'll drink those. But yeah. if it's just a standard one, I'm I'm not a fan, so it's got to be spicy and a lot of Worcestershire in it for me to enjoy it. Gotcha. I'm in the same boat. That's kind of how I do it, too. Yeah. So. Besides Brewfinity, is there another brewery, brew pub, or even a brewery tour that you recommend uh, our listeners go check out? Well, I, I, I'm pretty sure Lakefront is the, you know, the gold standard for brewery tours because, you know, when Russ, Russ and Jim started the place, I think, uh, I think I read a story where Russ was given the serious tour and then Jim just kind of, you know, made crap up and, you know, made it entertaining and it got to the point where everybody was requesting Jim's tours versus Russ's. So that's kind of, that's kind of where the, uh, you know, the, the gold standard for the tour came in, you know, people are there just to enjoy themselves to some extent. They probably really don't care about how the beer is made and, uh, you know, just very casually want to know, but they're more interested in drinking the beer. That's why they're there for the tour. Yeah, they're just there for the Laverne and Shirley part. Exactly, yep. So I, I got one more question. Um, Up in your area, is there, like a Conwalk area, is there another brew pub you recommend checking out? Uh, there is another brewery across town uh, called Steel Tank Brewing. They just opened up uh, this year. Uh, we're currently contract brewing for them, so we're awesome. they give us a recipe. We brew it for them. Uh, other than that, um, there's another one just west of us called Hubbleton. Uh, it's a real small one. It's located out on a farm, uh, but they do a really nice job over there too. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Chad. We really appreciate your time and, uh, helping us schedule this. Like we're glad to have you on and we can't wait to get up to Brewfinity. Yeah. We're definitely going to make a visit. Looking forward to it. Yeah. We'll have to have uh, some chats about beer one of these days and, uh, yeah, but we hope you enjoy your Sunday. All right. Thank you very much for calling, guys. All right. Thank you, Chad. Chad. Bye. Yep. Bye. Bye. All right. That concludes this episode of Wisconsin Drunken History Podcast. If you enjoyed this vulgar display of Wisconsin, we recommend you subscribe via SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Also, leave us a review on any one of those above-mentioned sites, and we can read one at the end of every show. 
follow us on social media, and feel free to reach out, especially if there is a piece of history or weird news you'd love us to share or research, as well as highlight some local artists or music. Our website is projectcapestudio.com. I'd also like to thank my friend and past co-worker, Steph Skibak, for providing us with awesome podcast cover art as well as a dang it's for intro and outro music and all of you for listening as always watch watch out out for deer deer on the way way home. home